Um, I also want to invite you to find the little posture talking points handout that's in the seat back in front of you. Uh, If you're watching online, you can go to uh, our sermon page and look at past sermons over the last few weeks. But this is a six-week-long conversation. We're in week five, and uh, we've been talking together about human sexuality and our experience in that and others and how we can walk with people. And so we wanted to make sure that as we're having this long conversation, that if if you've missed a Sunday, that you've got kind of the main ideas from those Sundays. And so I want to make sure you, you take a look at that. My favorite talking point probably on here is from week two, which uh, fourth point there, it says most LGBTQ people who step away from the church, they do so because of our posture, not our theology. And I remember talking about that, kind of a light bulb moment for me, uh, that there's been surveys done that m- most who walk away from the church don't do it because of what we believe or what we think is right and true according to scripture, but they walk away because of how we talk about them, how we look at them, what we say to them, the posture we take towards them. Uh, a couple years ago when I first came to town, I met with someone in the LGBTQ community that attends here at Hillcrest, and uh, we talked about uh, their journey and their experience, and uh, it was just really interesting to hear his story. And one of the things he said is that when he first began to identify uh, in a different way than he had grown up, he, he said, I want to go to a church that was, was fully affirming of what I believed was going on in myself. And he said he went to another church for a while, but he came back to Hillcrest. And I said, well, what brought you back? He said, well, I always felt like at that other church that I wasn't getting all the truth. I felt like I wasn't really hearing all that scripture says to me. And I know at Hillcrest that you lift up scripture and you say, what does the Bible have to say to us? He goes, I know you don't agree with the choices I've made. I know this, what you believe about human sexuality. He said, but, but I want to be in a place where there's truth being spoken. And uh, that was encouraging. It's our posture. It's the posture we take towards people that really stands out. So this is our fifth week, and I just want to say thanks for continuing to walk with me in this conversation. Um, We've said some terms out loud in this room that I don't think have ever been said out loud in this room before. And, um, you know, I've had to work through that myself. But you guys have met me there, and we're continuing together. This morning, uh, and really this whole weekend, Dr. Greg Coles is with us, spending some extra time helping us consider what Scripture has to say to us about discipleship and sexuality and this new life that we're created for. And in a few minutes, I'm going to invite Greg to come up, and we're going to have a little Q&A time together. Last night, we met and had about 100 people here for a couple hours together, and we're going to gather again today at 3.30, uh, from 3.30 to 5.30, to continue to talk and ask questions and, and lean in together, because there is a larger conversation to be had. And uh, I would love for you to join us today. Even if you didn't sign up, just show up at 3.30. Um, I know there's some Pro Bowl activities going on today in the NFL, but... You don't need to see a seven-foot, 300-pound lineman playing uh, flag football, all right? You don't, it's not going to change your life. Uh, come and join us at 3.30, and uh, it's going to be worthy of your time for some time together. Uh, before Greg comes up, I, I just want to read a few verses uh, with you from Psalm 139. Uh, David wrote this song, this, this prayer, to remind him uh, of God's design for his life, to remind himself that God uh, created him on purpose, that the things he was going through in his life were not by accident, uh, that God was not surprised, but that God had a, a purpose for it in his life. And um, I don't know about you, but there's days when, when I'm not always sure what's happening. Uh, there's been times that fr- some of my friends have had somewhat of an internal hurricane going on, uh, trying to understand uh, who they are and what, what, what they're supposed to be about in this world. And David says in this psalm, he says, remember that God puts you together on purpose, that you might be unclear, but God is not. 
You might be searching, trying to figure it out, but God knows, and, and he's available to you. Like we sang, we are open to him. He, he wants to speak to us. So this is from Psalm 139, verse 13 through 17. Uh, just hear these words. David writes, and he says, God, you created the deepest parts of my being. You put me together inside my mother's body. How you made me is amazing and wonderful. I praise you for that. What you have done is wonderful. I know that very well. So I just want to pause for a moment. Let me ask you this question. When you think about yourself, when you think about your body, do you say, well done, Father God. Well done. You knew what you were doing when you put this thing together. All this right here, wonderful. You know, uh, Is that your response when you think about your physicality, your body? He goes on, he continues to write this prayer. He says, none of my bones were hidden from you when you made me inside my mother's body. This place was as dark as the deepest parts of the earth. And when you were putting me together there, your eyes saw my body even before it was formed. You planned how many days I would live. You wrote down the number in, of them in your book before I had lived through even one of them. He says, God, your thoughts about me are priceless. Does God think about you? David would say, yeah. Yeah, he thinks about us. He thinks about our, our days. I like how David says, you number my days. But he's not saying that God just sees the calendar and says, oh, there's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. He's saying, God, you know my moments. You know my mornings, my afternoons, my evenings. You know the ups and the downs of my uh, everyday life. You're aware of all that's happening to me. When God thinks about you, what does he think? When he looks at you, what, what kind of thoughts pass through his heart? When he considers you, if your heart tells you that God thinks little of you, that he's ashamed of you, that he's turned away from you, I want you to know that that's not what God's word tells us. That's not what the Bible tells us. Your body, your purpose, your life is precious and planned by God. He knows you better than, than you know you, and he puts you together. And some of you say, well, Nate, that's what I believe. And I say, that's amazing. Awesome. Hold on to that. There's, there's times when I seem to float between having peace that, that God is with me and knows all about my story and a little bit of panic when I feel like maybe he's been distracted and I don't sense his presence the way I did yesterday and I wonder if he's still paying attention. Um, but, but we hold on to the truth of what Psalm 139 says, that God is aware of our lives and is with us. I want to invite Greg to come up here with me. And um, would you guys help me welcome uh, Dr. Greg Coles is coming up. Uh, now, Greg is the author of several books, senior research fellow at the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. And Greg lives in Idaho, which uh, if you had about 20 hours due west, you'd run into that state. And uh, he mentioned to us yesterday as an Ida Idahoan, Idahoan uh, that he's contractually obligated to talk about potatoes whenever he's at a church. So uh, he covered that yesterday. But if it comes up again... We're yeah, okay. We're okay with that. Yeah. Uh, thanks for being with us, Greg. And uh, really, thanks for yesterday, uh, yesterday morning with pastors, last night with our church. Um, just really helpful to have this conversation together. And uh, I'm glad we can do it. And I'm glad we can continue today at 3.30. Uh, but let me start with this question. Just tell us about yourself. Uh, if, you've, if you've got like three minutes, which you do, uh, tell us about you. I'm just kidding. Uh, tell us who you are, Greg. Yeah, let's see. Who am I? Uh, the most important thing is that I used to work at a bakery when I was in grad school, and I made a lot of buttercream icing at the bakery. So my personal record is that in a single day, I once made 301 pounds of buttercream icing. Thank you. Thank yes, you. yes. Um, well, impressive. I, uh, 
I, I also uh, am, am a writer, and I, I sort of stumbled into the conversation around uh, sexuality and gender very much by accident. I was trying to write a novel and having terrible writer's block, and someone gave me the advice. He said, uh, just sit down in front of a blank computer page and write whatever comes out of you, and no one ever has to see it. He was such a liar. <laughs> um, uh, but, I, but I sat down in front of that computer page, and I started writing down uh, some of my own thoughts and processing uh, of my experience of sexuality, of being exclusively attracted to the same sex, wrestling with scripture, coming to the conclusion that Jesus was asking me to be single uh, for life, um, and uh, then wrestling with the implications of what that meant for my life. So I wrote it all down uh, in a, an accidental book uh, that got published under the title Single Gay Christian, which is a title that leaves very little to the imagination. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, and that, has, that has brought me into a lot of the work that I do now. Uh, I work uh, with part of my time with an organization called the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender, um, which is a great time, and it gives me the occasion to be with folks like all of you. Yeah, and, and Greg's part of uh, a covenant church in Idaho, in fact, the only covenant church in the state. And so uh, that's kind of fun that they've got something going there. Yes, we love the covenant, all 70 of us in Idaho. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you mentioned the, the Center for uh, Faith, Sexuality, and, and Gender. Tell us about that group of people. What is their purpose? What is their hope and their vision? Because um, we've been using them as a resource during this series. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, the center exists to help uh, church leaders and Christian communities try to cultivate better conversations around sexuality and gender from a Christian perspective. Um, and we want to do that in a way that's deeply faithful to what Scripture teaches and also deeply and radically loving of all kinds of people, uh, which is a fun place to be in because it means that some people will think you're not nearly gracious enough because you're too committed to Scripture. And some people will think that you're definitely not committed to Scripture enough because you're just too dang gracious. Uh, so we're very popular across the board <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Uh, you mentioned your, one of your books a moment ago. I've got it up here, Single Gay Christian. And we do have a book table in the back with, uh, with some of Greg's books. And this is one our staff read together last November. And it's just a really good story, but also uh, helps us enter into this conversation about human sexuality um, from a real perspective. Mm -hmm. And so I just it would encourage you to consider that one. But the title, Single Gay Christian, for some, the word gay and Christian put right next to each other is a, is a new kind of experience for us, maybe unfamiliar. Mm. Uh, some would even say there's, there's something wrong about that. Mm. So just my question for you is like, well, what does it mean to you to be gay and Christian? And, and how does that work out for you? Yeah, I would say, uh, well, anytime, anytime we're picking language to describe ourselves, it's a bit complicated because people use language in very different ways. Um, and uh, so there are certainly uh, Christians who would find it more comfortable if I used a term like same-sex attracted to describe my experience of sexuality. The trouble, well, one of the problems is uh, that the term same-sex attracted has a lot of baggage that comes with it historically. Uh, it's strongly associated with the ex-gay movement, uh, which was saying to people, uh, in order for you to follow Jesus, the thing that needs to happen in your life is your attraction to the same sex needs to go away. You need to develop an attraction to the opposite sex. Uh, there's uh, been some, some damage done there. Um, so that was one reason that I was cautious of that term. But also, uh, as I was trying to think about how do I describe uh, my experience of attraction and also my desire to be committed to Jesus uh, in a way that will be understandable to the folks around me. I was in a graduate program in the humanities at the time. I had lots of LGBTQ friends. Um, and what the word gay meant to them 
was someone who is persistently and exclusively attracted to the same sex. Uh, and they believed that it was impossible to be gay and to be a Christian, which meant they believed that because they were attracted to the same sex, they didn't really have to consider the whole Jesus thing because they were already categorically excluded from the family of God simply because of how they were attracted. Uh, and I found myself thinking, how could I tell my story in a way that would be maximally likely to communicate to the people who most need to know, like, Jesus is for you. You, too, are invited into the gloriously messy process of being a disciple of Jesus. Um, and so that was, why, that was why I chose the language that I did. Um, and also because, you know, it's fun to be a little bit spicy once in a while. <laughs> Shake things up. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> Uh, I'm glad we could talk some more about that this afternoon, especially going to Scripture and seeing what it has to say to us about, um, about that attraction, about sexual mm -hmm. behavior, uh, and, and some truth there for us. Mm -hmm. So that would be good to lean into today. Uh, this morning, I want to talk a bit about gender and, and kind of lean into that some. So uh, when you think about gender, what are the defining characteristics of gender? Yeah, so when we, when we talk about gender, and to be clear, the conversation about gender identity is a very different conversation than the conversation about sexuality, sexual orientation. So taking that turn, when we talk about gender, it's helpful to distinguish between uh, gender and, and biological sex. Uh, now, about 100 years ago, those two terms were being used synonymously uh, to mean the same thing. Uh, but today, increasingly... Um, uh, people are using those terms very differently. Um, so when we talk about biological sex, we're talking about the chromosomal and external physiological characteristics um, that make a person male or female, uh, or in some rare cases, intersex, which means uh, they have some characteristics uh, that are physiologically or chromosomally associated with both male and female. Um, but in biological sex, the vast majority of us um, would be male or female. Uh, when we talk about gender, gender is a way of describing uh, the, the, the social and experiential characteristics related to maleness and femaleness. Um, so uh, most significantly, uh, people will talk about gender to name gender identity, which is a person's internal sense of themselves as male or female or both or neither. Uh, now, in the vast majority of cases, um, and probably for the majority of uh, us here this morning, um, our internal sense of ourselves as male or female is going to line up with our biological sex. Um, but there are some folks, uh, relatively uh, rare condition called uh, gender dysphoria, um, uh, and folks who experience gender dysphoria, what that means is that they have a psychological distress because of the, the mismatch between what their brain tells them uh, their body should be and then what they actually experience their body to be. Um, so, for instance, um, a, a natal male, somebody who's born male, um, might feel internally like, this seems wrong. Uh, it's, it's a bit like uh, psychologists have noticed uh, that the, the brain centers that seem to light up when people experience gender dysphoria are a bit like a phantom limb experience where somebody who's lost a limb uh, looks at their body and, and their brain kind of freaks out because it says, no, you're supposed to have something there that, that's not there. Um, there can be a similar kind of distress that, uh, the, that the brain can have uh, in some cases when people feel this sort of mismatch between, well, here's, here's what seems to be here externally, but here's what I'm experiencing. 
experiencing internally. Um, so that, that's one of the things that we're talking about when we talk about gender. How, how are we perceiving ourselves and being perceived by others uh, in these conversations? You said for, uh, you know, biological sex and, and the word gender, those two used to be synonymous or the mm. same, like maybe 100 years ago. Uh, why am I so far behind in my understanding? Why is that? Like, I, like, for me, I feel like those two always have been connected. Uh, why, why is it that there's been a change or why is that understanding separated those two out? And, and let me say this as well. There's part of some of us that might feel like, well, isn't, isn't biblically, aren't they supposed to be connected mm. and the same? Um, so how would you respond to that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's important to note that before they were synonyms, they were different. So they were different, they became synonyms, and then they were kind of re-separated, as it were. Uh, the term gender comes to us uh, from the same root uh, in Latin as the word genre, which means like a type or kind. Um, and so people were using the term gender to just make categories of various different kinds of things. It was a term in grammar to talk about categories of words. Um, and they would just sort of equate it by analogy to sex. They would say, oh yeah, these, uh, these various endings of words are kind of like masculinity and femininity. Um, so, so they became joined together, but then uh, increasingly in psychological conversation, people were wrestling with the question of how do we talk about the fact that it seems like there are expectations in society for being male or being female that aren't really technically connected to the body in any meaningful way. Um, so this was especially around the time these two words were separating, uh, gender stereotypes and gender roles in society were kind of at an all-time high of being very dichotomous, right? You are a female and therefore you will be, you know, sort of submissive and demure, you'll work in the home, you will cook scary jello salads, you know, whatever people were doing in the 50s. Um, uh, and then they would say, oh, you're male, and that means you're going to work outside the home, you're going to play a lot of football, you will know how to burp the alphabet. Um, these are the things that it means to be male. And, and increasingly, uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, there were people who were either pushing against those expectations or simply feeling like, okay, well, you're telling me if I have this male body, here's how I should be in the world. That's not, that's not fitting me. That's not working for me. Uh, and so there were a variety of ways that people tried to push against that. And so as academics, uh, we can blame a lot on the academics because academics just, you know, they get out of control sometimes. And I say that as a fellow academic. Um, <laughs> Uh, so they were trying to figure out how do we put language around the fact that there seem to be these two different conversations. There's a conversation about the body, and then there's a separate conversation about who we are with each other in society. Um, and they said, hey, you know those two words that we've started just using as synonyms? What if we kind of broke them apart again uh, and started using gender to talk about categories in society? And we'll let sex be the word we use to talk about the physiology of the body. Mm, yeah, okay. Uh, so sometimes people will use words to describe their experience or themselves, and they'll say they are uh, genderqueer or non-binary in regard to their understanding. What, so what do those words mean? And yeah, the first thing I'll say about defining words in this conversation is the same words will get defined and used differently by different people. Uh, so one of the most helpful things you can do when somebody uses a word is just say, hey, that's a, that's a great word. Like, can you help me understand what you mean by that word? Uh, can you help me understand, uh, yeah, what, what I should uh, take away from your use of that word? Uh, so 
with the words uh, genderqueer and non-binary, I'll tell you what they often mean, but uh, again, ask people. Uh, genderqueer, uh, it, at its root, genderqueer simply means that somebody feels like their internal experience of themselves or the way they want to be in society doesn't match the typical way that somebody with their biological sex or their embodiment would think of themselves or inhabit society, um, which could mean a whole bunch of things, right? I've got friends uh, who use genderqueer, and basically what they mean by genderqueer is, yeah, I, I am a natal female. I think of myself as female, but also I kind of wrestle with that. I experience dysphoria. It's weird. I don't think I want to have long hair. I would prefer if no one ever called me pretty. Um, uh, so I don't know what you call all that. I'll call it genderqueer. So some folks who use that term and, you know, folks who uh, mean very different things by the word. Um, but it, it's kind of a big umbrella term that can describe a lot of experiences of uh, mismatch or uh, desire to portray uh, something different in society. Uh, as for non-binary, um, that's, that's a word that more or less means uh, that someone might say, okay, I, when I look at the world, when I look at my society, I see kind of a box for maleness and masculinity, and I see kind of a box for femaleness and femininity, and I don't really feel like I fit in this box, and I don't really feel like I fit in that box, and therefore, I think of myself as neither of those boxes. Um, so if, here's the binary, and I am not. I am none of the things. You know, try to pick a category for me, and you shall fail. Um, that, again, ask people uh, what they mean. Ask people what they're going for. But that's kind of the basic meaning of those two terms. Yeah. Uh, last week, we talked about singleness and marriage here uh, at church, and we put up uh, Genesis 127. Mm. And uh, I want to put that up on the screen again. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So male and female, it, it seems like that's saying there are two options for us mm. uh, along what traditionally was thought of as gender, um, but male and female. So help us understand, what is, what is that saying, that passage saying to us? about our understanding of ourselves and, and how does that speak into this gender discussion? Yeah, yeah. So uh, this, this passage uh, is, I, I would take this to be speaking about our uh, creation as biologically sexed male or female, or again, in some rare cases, uh, some combination of those two in intersex. Um, and, and what's especially notable and wonderful about this passage in the context of other creation narratives that exist around the same time uh, this is written is that most people believe that men are more like the image of God and women are like, a, oh, whoopsie, that's kind of a bummer for you. Uh, you know, there were Greek philosophers who believed that women were just inside out men, um, that it was like a birth defect to be female, like what a bummer. Um, and so what the, what the author is saying that's so revolutionary here in the context of the text uh, is that both male and female um, equally bear God's image. Um, and, so, and so what that means for our for our conversations here is that we can say, no matter how you are embodied, we see the fingerprints of God's intentionality in that. Um, like, you are, you are not a mistake. You are, you are not an, an oopsie from God. Um, uh, but you are, you are something that, that God put together with intention. Um, now, the, the whole idea of uh, speaking separately about 
gender, about sort of societal implications or an internal experience, um, that would be very foreign to the writers of this text. Um, and so what we're trying to do uh, as people living and talking with our loved ones in the 21st century is say, how do we take this scriptural truth about uh, our biological sex, and then how do we apply that to this really tricky conversation about what people should do when they feel some kind of tension or disconnection between the way they have been uh, embodied by God and the way they find their brain uh, thinking of themselves or wanting to interact with the world. Hmm. Yeah. So as, as those who uh, hold up scripture to help inform our understanding of life and what we should do um, in those times when possibly we have that internal confusion or, or conversation with ourselves about what's going on in our understanding of our biological sex and our gender expression, uh, what kind of, what should we go to with scripture? How should it inform that process of, mm. of developing that? Yeah. Um, you know, one of the, one of the tragic things that I have sometimes seen and, and heard stories from others of experiencing in evangelical church communities um, is that we can be some of the places that are most strongly driven by gender stereotypes. Um, I, I know a guy who said, uh, I never doubted my, my maleness until I went to an evangelical church. Uh, and then they had such, such a clear and, and somewhat narrow vision of how I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to be interested in uh, and how I was supposed to walk and use my low manly voice. Um, and I wasn't supposed to cross my legs. I needed to like man spread a little bit. You know, he was like, he was like I just, I never wondered whether or not I was male until people started saying like, you got to act like a man. Um, uh, what, what Scripture does so beautifully is that pretty much all of the commands that are given to men in Scripture are given to women in Scripture and vice versa, right? Like, women are called to be submissive. Great, and so are men. Submit yourselves to one another, therefore, out of reverence to God. Men are called to be bold and courageous, and so are women, and that's why we cheer when Yael slams the tet peg into Sisera's skull. Um, in so many ways, there's a lot of freedom given within the text of Scripture for all of us to recognize the way I am given a body by God is good and beautiful. And also, for me to be godly, I don't have to be aspirationally more masculine or more feminine. I can simply be godly within the body I am given and allow God to do the work from there. Um, and I think there's wonderful freedom in that. One of the things I love so much about being uh, in the covenant as a denomination uh, is that we have great freedom for both men and women to serve in all the roles of church ministry, that there's no one we look at and say, well, your giftings don't match up with your body, therefore we're going to limit you accordingly. There's tremendous freedom uh, within the kingdom to say, um, look, take the gifts God has given you, take the heart God has given you, take the body God has given you, and give all of those things back to him fully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Wonderful. Uh, so, yeah, I hear, I hear fingers Ooh, going like this. It's like a poetry slam. <laughs> uh, I'm glad that we're going to have some more time this afternoon. Greg, thanks for being up here. We're going to regather at 3.30 to hear more. So uh, but let's say thanks to Greg for sharing his heart with us this morning. As those created in God's image, whether you're male, uh, female, straight, gay, gender conforming, gender queer, we're called to surrender our bodies to, to God. That's what scripture calls us to do. I want to read from Romans 12 and remind us of what uh, Paul says that as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to do with our bodies. 
He says, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Paul says that our bodies are not our own. We don't be, they don't belong to us. We don't hold the deed. We don't have the title for our bodies, that we belong to God, and we need to surrender our bodies to him, to lay them down. We are, we are embodied people. We have a spirit, a soul, a body. We're not simply a, 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 a soul that resides in some package that we're not going to need later on. We need our bodies. We are embodied people. Our physicality matters to our creator. It matters so much that Jesus put on flesh and entered into our neighborhood, as the Message Bible says. A few minutes ago, we received communion where Jesus said, my body is broken, my blood is shed, these physical things of my reality I am, I am sharing them with you. I am laying them down that you might have life. And, and Jesus experienced all of our physical life, our, our limitations, our joys. He was uh, on those busy work days and those lazy Saturdays. You know, he understands weddings and funerals and feasts and famine. He, he gets high fives and verbal punches. He was in those things with us physically. He lived in a body and he gave up his body. Our bodies matter. Our physicality matters to God. And the Bible contains stories of people who missed out on the beauty of their physical bodies. People who thought little of themselves, so they thought little of others and, and caused hardship and pain. But then there's also these wonderful stories of those who understood that God put them together on purpose, that he created them physically for a reason. We go to the Old Testament with Jeremiah, and he says that God spoke to him, and God said to Jeremiah, hey, before I formed you in your mother's body, I chose you. Before you were born, I set you apart to serve me. And Isaiah made this claim, the Lord formed me in my mother's body to be his servant. And even Paul in the New Testament says, but God in his grace chose me even before I was born and called me to serve him. God put us together for a reason, on purpose. And he's so aware of our own internal dialogue that we are having about our value and about who we are. And, and as David says, God sees that and he says, you are wonderfully made put you together on purpose, you know, but of course, because we are in a fallen world, because we sin ourselves, because we walk towards death instead of life, we don't always experience the fullness of that joy, that wonderfulness. There's times when we are internally conflicted, when we wonder about who we are in our bodies, when our, our biological sex doesn't seem to add up to our, our gender understanding. Some of us have family and friends that face those challenges, and I just want to ask you this morning, can we be the kind of people who will listen to the stories and experiences of others with, with compassion and curiosity? Can we listen to other people's stories and realize that what they're going through may not make sense to us, but it's still something they're facing? And can we be curious and compassionate in how we talk with them? Can we be the kinds of people that pray that the Spirit of God would bring transformation, that they would find solid ground to build their lives upon? Can we be the kind of people that when there's been a, a separation in a relationship because of something I might have said or we said or something they said, can we be the kind of people to say, let's start again, let's try again, will you forgive me? Can, I'm sorry, can we try, let's reconnect. Can we be those kinds of people? I shared with you on the first Sunday of our series here that 
that uh, I'm, I'm the proud dad of an awesome second child named August, and August is my transgender son who was born female and about four years ago began to identify as male, and that has not been a simple or an easy journey, and I, I know that God is working in his life, and um, you know, some of us as parents or grandparents, you may have kids or grandkids that are going to come to you and share something going on in their world and say, hey, I'm feeling that this is who I am now, or this is my identity, and they begin to express those things to us, and you might say, well, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to show up? And I thought, well, maybe I'll just share what I did with August, and not that I've got all the answers, but I can share at least what kind of process we went through, and maybe that would be helpful and encouraging for you this morning. So when August took that brave step to tell me and Angela about his experience, what was going on in his life, he talked to Angela first, and it took about, about two, three months for him to get the courage to tell me uh, through an email. And so we sat down together at lunch, and I looked at August, and the first thing I said, I said, August, there is nothing you could do. There's nothing you could say that would make me turn away from you. There's nothing you could say that would make me withhold my love from you or deny who you are. You're my kid. You're always going to be my kid. I think one of the things, this is just you know, me speaking here, but we need to love our kids no matter what they throw at us, no matter what they say. Our grandkids, we need to love them no matter how they begin to talk or experience their life. And we need to do that in a way that they can understand and receive. That might mean giving them a hug. It might mean sending a text. It could be writing a letter. Maybe you have set up a weekly parent-child date, you know, just to be with them. But we need to love them. So I said, I love you. And that's not going to change. And the second thing I did is I said, tell me about what got you to this point. Tell me about your experience he was 19-year-old, soon to be diagnosed with gender dysphoria, which Greg was just talking about a moment ago, and I, I don't know that reality. So I said, tell me about what it's like. And he began to describe, you know, looking at his body and, and having a visceral reaction against it, how he didn't want to take showers. I was always trying to make him take showers. And, and he said, I don't like taking showers because when I see myself in the mirror, there's a disconnect. I hate it. He went through times of hurting himself because of that. And I, I don't know that experience. I said, tell me about that. What's it like? Listen to, listen to the stories. Don't dismiss them. Don't make them small just because you don't understand. Listen to the stories. This is their real life. The third thing I, I said, well, after listening, asking questions, I said, could I tell you what's on my heart? And he said, sure. And I was able to say, honestly, without any anger, I was just to say, August, I don't think God made a mistake when he made you a female. I don't think that was a, a whoopsie, as Greg said. I don't think that was a mistake. I think he put you together on purpose but I can't imagine what you've been going through and the kinds of things you've been facing. And of course, August already knew this. He knew what I thought. He knew what I believed. That's why it took him so long to finally talk to me about it. I didn't need to yell it out. I, needed, I didn't need to be loud. I just need to say, hey, my heart for you. I, I, don't think you're a mis I don't think your biological sex is a mistake. I think God did that on purpose. And then I was able to say, you know, as we walk together in this, can we take it slowly? I want to encourage you to just, just to wait and, and continue to process this. And, you know, um, there's some that want to jump right to physical changes and things like that. I said, August, you've got years before your brain is done developing. I mean, it's 27th, 28th birthday before all that comes together. So can we journey in this together? Can we slow it down? Will you, will you wait on some of those things? And would you sit with a counselor who would, who would not just say, well, what do you want to do? Let's do it. But would say, well, why do you want to do that? What is it in, in your experience that's causing this? And and someone who, you know, is a follower of Jesus. And, and August was able to work and meet with me and all that and say, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, Dad, you bet. Yeah, let's do that. 
The final thing I said, I said, I, I, I want you to, my, my hope and my desire for you is that you'd walk with Jesus, that you would experience his love and grace in your life. And he's, he's a pastor's kid, right? So he's grown up, going to church, made a decision to follow Jesus when he was seven. He went on mission trips, served in the church with kids, um, just experienced Jesus' love and grace. I just want you to continue to walk in that, continue to seek what God is doing in your life in the midst of these questions, in the midst of these changes. August and Angela and I continue to walk together in this story. I'm, I'm sending August copies of my sermons as we're going through this series and saying, hey, just look this over. Let me know if I'm saying anything that might be hurtful. I don't want to hurt anybody any more than they've already been hurt. And, and uh, he's been so excited, you know, that we're talking about these things as a church community, and it's reengaged our discussion around human sexuality, which has been so good for us. I tell you that story, I'm sure some of, some of you are wondering, well, why, do you, why are you using his new name? Why, why are you using his preferred pronouns? What's that all about? I, I mean, that's a longer story, and obviously, as, a, as, as his dad, I've gone through some ups and downs in that journey, messed up a few times, but it's, it's something I've, we've chosen to do, and we could, I'll tell you about that. Just ask me. I'll let you know why. But I, I want to say this as we're wrapping up here. There's one author that writes about this. He says, you know what? Our truth will not be heard until our grace is felt. Our truth will not be heard until our grace is felt. My hope is that we can be people of grace, that people can feel our, our care, our desire to know them, to, to commit to them, to walk with them, not to put them in a category, but to say, tell me your story, that we can be people of grace. I want to remind you, Scripture tells us that it's the kindness of God that draws us to transformation. It's the kindness of God that draws us uh, to redemption. And that's, that's the truth. We, let's be people of grace and, and hold on to what is true and good. And let's pray for those around us. It's grace that connects us to our Father. It's his kindness that transforms our hearts. So let's ask him to help us live that way. I want to invite you to pray with me. I want to invite the worship team to come up and we're going to close together with a song, but let's pray together and uh, ask God to continue to help us walk this way. So will you bow your heads with me? Father, we're so thankful that you are good and faithful to us. And Lord, you know uh, our journeys. You know the condition of our hearts. You know the kinds of conversations uh, we have with ourselves about our physicality and our understanding of gender and some of the ways we might express that out in the world. And, and Father God, you've created us to walk with you, experience new life with you. You've made us on purpose. You've put us together uh, with, a, with a hope and a desire. And Father, we just pray that you would help us lay our lives down, our, our bodies, our hearts, our minds, our souls. Let's lay everything down at your feet and say that we are yours. And if we are moving off course, if we're walking towards death instead of life, would you help us to see that? Would you make it clear? Would you use your people, would you use your word to speak to us? Call us back to what is true. Lord, help us to walk with those around us, to love, to bring truth, to hope and to pray, to be people known for grace. Lord, help us. Thank you for these moments together this morning. Thank you for the truth that we are wonderfully and fearfully made by our creator. Thank you for knowing us, Lord. Pray it in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna invite our prayer volunteers up at this time every Sunday after church. If you'd like someone to pray with you, encourage you, 
Uh, just share you know, the needs in your heart or the celebrations of your life. Just someone to lift you up. Uh, come up, let us pray with you and encourage you this morning. As you go, you can take those connection cards, any offering you have, drop those in the joy boxes in the, the back of the room here. Yeah, we celebrate generosity at Hillcrest. Thanks for continuing to give that we can do what God has called us to do. And, and as you go, would you remember that you are fearfully and wonderfully made by your creator, that he sings a song over you, that as you go out into your week, that every person you encounter is made in the image of God, you can be a person of hope, a person of, of love, a person calling them to see a greater story. So go with God, uh, be people of light. We'll see you next Sunday. Amen.